Amen. What a great song. Uh, calling Jesus the lover of our souls. Nobody cares for our souls more than Jesus did. He died for us on the cross. And just wonderful that he, he the Bible says that he, he doesn't wish willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he also says, Who, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So he loves everybody, and he gives everybody a fair chance. But uh, some people reject him. So thank God we don't reject him. And second of all, wouldn't you love to be where they sang that song? I was looking at it going, I wish I was there right now. I'd be there. Some of you, some of you are probably hoping you had a fishing pole. You'd be fishing out there. Some of you would be floating, down the, floating out on the water. But uh, it just looked like a beautiful, beautiful place. Well, tonight we're going to talk about a subject that can be tough for all of us sometimes. We're going to talk about humility a little bit and the importance thereof. Um, turn to James chapter 4, if you would. It'll be up on the screen as well. So James chapter 4. And as, as we look into humility, you know, if you're like me, don't you, don't you hate it when somebody has to brag about how great they are? You know, I, I had kids that I grew up with, and, hey, I'm the best this, I'm the best that. You know, somebody that was truly good at what they do, they don't have to say anything. They just got to do it, right? Just got to do it and be, and be the best. Now, there were some people that bragged that, were, that could back it up. I remember Muhammad Ali. I, I used to, he used to just get going, man, and, and, and it would come out. But, you know, the truth was he was a good fighter, and he could, he could win. And, uh, you know, people like that. But, you know, some people would tell you they were, uh, they were great, and then they'd get out there, and they, uh, they weren't. You know, somebody was better than them. And, but if you, just, if you just let your skills speak for themselves. But, of course, this kind of humility we're talking about is Christ's humility. And our Savior humbled himself. The Bible says that he humbled himself in the form of a servant. He could have came of king, king of kings and lord of lords. But when he came to this earth, earth he humbled himself in the form of a servant and he proved it uh, by going to the cross. He proved it by washing the disciples' feet. He proved it by showing his disciples and his followers the importance of every person. And the Bible says God is no respecter of persons. And so, so it's important there. Well, our first point under tonight is that God resists pride. Um, you ever, when you were in um, science class, you ever, you ever had the, the experiments with magnets? And you got the magnets where the, the, the polar opposites and they would, man, you had some, some magnets that would attract, but you had others if you did something that would repel and you'd try to push them together, it wouldn't happen. And, and God resists pride. Remember, anything good we do or anything that we have is from God to begin with. And so we have to remember that. But let's take a look here uh, in James 4.1. It says, from whence comes wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence? Look what it says here even of your lust, that war in your members. You know, who's our worst enemy? Ourselves. <laughs> you know, we're fighting the flesh. It would be great if you got saved and never had the struggle of the flesh again, but the truth is our flesh wants things. And uh, we as Christians have to, uh, have to follow God's idea on that. And he says, even the lust, that war in your members. And then he says in verse 2, you lust and you have not, you kill and you desire to have, you cannot obtain. You fight and you war. And then he says, yet you have not, because you ask not. And then verse 3 says, You ask and receive not, because you ask amiss or wrongly, that you may consume it upon your lust. You know, um, when you look at those first three verses, when you think about a message, this message is not on the lust of the eyes in any way, but, you know, what happens, as far as our sin life goes, when we do things that are wrong, where, do, where does it normally start? It normally starts with our eyes, right? We see something, and then we dwell on something, and then uh, eventually, you know, it goes further and further, right? If we don't stop it at the beginning. If 
We don't say, hey, I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to watch this. I'm not going to go to this. I'm going to watch what I do. And that's really where it all starts. But the truth is, even in churches, people, people will get at odds at each other because they're jealous of that person or they're envious of what they have. And, and God says here that um, the lust that warn our members do that. In verse 2, he said, you lust and you have not. You desire to have. And then he says in verse 2, you have not because you ask not. But then in verse 3, he says, when you do ask, you receive not because you ask amiss or wrongly. And again, he says, you can't ask for something that you're just going to consume in your flesh. You know, and so God's very clear about that um, and, and to seek his will. And then it goes on in verse 4, he says, you adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now, when we look at that, obviously as Christians, when we say, when we say we're, not, you know, we're not supposed to be a friend of the world, we're supposed to love everyone and care for their soul. That's not what it's talking about here. When it talks about the world, it's talking about the wrong things of the world that God has spoken out against. And so he's saying, hey, stay away from those wrong things. But he says, you know, we all have that pull, don't we? We know that there's always a choice. We, we see it every day in the school. It's clear as day. You know, you see kids make right decisions. You see them make wrong decisions. And, and you see it very clearly on the playground. One kid has the ball. They're going down there, and then the other kid wants that red ball. There might be 20 other balls in the ball box, but they want that red ball. And they'll go chase that kid and rip it out of their hands because they want that ball. Uh, and it's just, you know, and adults are the same way. I mean, we, we, we look at all the road rage incidents we have and all that kind of stuff. But people, people go through that. But God says, hey, we can't, we've we, we got to pick what team we're on. We're going to be on the team of God or we're going to be on the team of the world. And when we say the world, again, we're talking about the things of this world that are wrong, wrong for us. And then verse 5 says, do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? And it's very interesting that they throw those two words together because lust and envy, when you lust and you desire something, but you also envy other people that have stuff. You know, um, or they've got, they have something that they don't. And it doesn't have to even be a tangible thing. It might not be like a car or a house. It could be that maybe, hey, maybe they get recognized more than you. Uh, maybe they, maybe they got to have a position that you wish you had. And those kind of things. So we, we, it, can, it can overlap in a lot of areas here. And then he says in verse 6, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud. But look what it says here. He gives grace unto the humble. So God's resisting the proud person, and he's giving grace to the humble person. Because, you know, realize when you're humble before God, first of all, when you're humble before him, you did that at your time of salvation. You humbled yourself and you said, I'm in need of a savior. And I can't save myself because obviously my, I'm, I do wrong things. So when I admit that I sinned and I, and I say, hey, I need a savior, then, then really I've humbled myself because I've said I'm not, I'm not the God of my life. My God, my creator is. Jehovah God is my God of my life. And when we acknowledge that he is real and we acknowledge that he died for us on the cross and we acknowledge that the only way we get to heaven is because we put our faith and trust in him, when we do that, we're humbling ourselves. See, mankind will say, oh, I'm, I'm doing good things, I'll go to heaven. Oh, I got baptized, I'm going to go to heaven. Oh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm working on this over here, so that's going to get me to heaven. I'm very generous, I give to charity, I'm, that's going to get me to heaven. But, but God says, no, you need to humble yourself for salvation. But then beyond that, after we know Christ is our Savior, we have to humble ourselves in, in, in everyday situations. 
And, um, you know, pastor talked to us a little bit in the staff meeting today, talked about us, you know, making sure we have a good attitude, making sure we, 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 we do that. Well, the thing, the thing about our attitude is when, you know, somebody gets, somebody's going to yell at me, so I'm going to yell back at them. You know, they're going to cuss at me, so, you know, I'll do something unkind to them. You know, and, and we can't do that. We can't live that way as a Christian. We've got to show our Savior. And it's not easy to do. Believe me. <laughs> like I said, every time I speak a message, it, it's something that, you know, I fight with too in my flesh. Because, you know, we, but God says here, I resist the proud, but I give grace unto the humble. In First um, Peter chapter 5, it says this. First Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, it says this. It says, likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elders. It's talking about relationships in the church. But then it says, yea, all of you be subject one to another. Be clothed with humility. And again, it says the same thing here in this verse. For God resisteth the proud, and he giveth grace to the humble. And then he says in verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And then it says here that he may exalt you in due time. See, when we humble ourselves, God exalts us. Do you guys kind of remember in the New Testament when Christ was here on the earth with his three years of his earthly ministry uh, before he went to the death on the cross? He had picked his disciples and they had come. But, you know, the disciples were a lot of times arguing about who would be better than the other one. You know, they, they wanted to be first. And they wanted to be, you know, a couple of them wanted to be on the right hand of God. Um, you know, you remember, though, as Christ washed their feet and they were told that one of them was going to betray him, you remember that all of them asked that question? Is it I? Is it I? Is it I? So there had been a big change in their life. They were starting to realize it. But you know what? After Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and then he went and ascended into heaven, um, we see that once, you know, we've been talking in the book of Acts and how, and how um, the day of Pentecost, when the, when the disciples just started preaching with power, we see in Acts that they no longer are stuck on their things. They're, they're focused on one thing, and that's getting the gospel out to everybody. And, you know, when they were here on this earth, they wouldn't do that. They weren't, they weren't really doing that. You know, they were, they were, they were ashamed at times. Um, Peter denied him three times. You know, Peter, Peter, Peter said, I'll never deny you. And Christ said, yeah, you're gonna, it's going to happen. And you, know, you ever probably heard that before, never say never, right? Because then it happens. You say, oh, that'll never happen in my life. Don't ever think a sin can't get the best of you. You think, oh, man, that sin's never going to get me. I don't know why that person, you know, did that. Truth is, when we say that, we're putting ourselves in danger because, uh, you know, it could happen to us. It could happen to us. And so, you know, again, God resists the proud but giveth grace to the humble. So that those 1 Peter 5, 5, and 6 are just a great complimentary verse to that. Okay, point number two tonight is that God rewards humility. Okay, he resists pride. So as a saved Christian, you know, we put off the old man, right? The Bible says we're to mortify our flesh. So we put off the old man. So what is, if God resists the pride, what is he like? Well, he likes humility. In these verses here, we're going we're gonna to read them here in a minute. But in verses 7 through 10, that's all under point 2 here, they have 10 different verbs here. They're all commands to the believers, and they're imperatives. Uh, you ever said to yourself, it's imperative I do this? Okay. In English here in our school, we teach about the different kinds of sentences. We teach about an imperative sentence. An imperative sentence gives a command or request, and it doesn't have a subject that's looking at you in the sentence. It's an understood you. And so when, the way we teach our kids when they do a sentence, you, you write the word you outside the sentence, you underline it, and you put it in parentheses. That signifies that 
it's understood that you are the subject. Like if I look at somebody and I say, close the door. If I say close the door and I'm looking at Carl, Carl would say, okay, I'll close the door on my way in, you know. Uh, but he understands it's him. He's not looking around going, is somebody else closing the door? But he would understand that. And so in this, right away in verse 7, it starts off in between, again, between verse 7 through 10, there's 10 different verbs that are all commands, all imperative. If they're imperative, it means they're imperative that we, we do them in our life. So let's take a look at them here. Look at verse 7. It says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Us as the reader, when we read that, we understand God's talking to us. Submit ourselves, therefore, to God. So it's to, that's our first command there. It says, hey, submit yourself to God. What does that mean? His will, not my will. What's, 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 what's going to further the kingdom of God? What, it doesn't matter what happens to me. What's going to further the kingdom of God? So he says, submit yourself, for, therefore, to God. Then secondly, he tells us to do another thing. He says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's a tough one, resisting the devil. Remember, we're not more powerful than the devil, but our Savior is, right? So with Christ, if we do it his way, we can resist the devil. Um, you know, we teach teenagers that before they even get in the situation to already make up in their mind that they're not going to do something or that they are going to do the right thing and they're going to do the wrong thing. So before they ever get in that situation, I used to tell my kids, they would get invited to different things, and there were some things that they knew that I wasn't going to let them go on. You know, for example, let's say it was a slumber party overnight, and it's guys and girls both. Oh, my kid's not going to that. <laughs> That's not, they're not going to do that. But, you know, any time there was something like that, like that that came up, you know what I told my kids? Just tell them your dad said you can't go. You know why? That takes the, the, that takes the peer pressure off them, and they can just say, I'm sorry, I, you know, my dad said I can't go to that. And, you know, we had to do that a few times over the years and just say, hey, no, you can't really go to that. You know, or sometimes we have to say, I don't want you to go over there, but, hey, they could come over to our house, you know. But when you, when you actively say you're going to resist the devil, we as adults have to make those same kind of decisions. We've got to say, hey, my heavenly father says not to do that, but he says I can do this. So we've got to say, okay, if I get in that situation, I'm not going to do it. Um, Long time ago, when I worked for I worked for a retail company uh, for quite a few years, actually a lot of years of my life, and I became a I became a district manager and I had to go to a lot of meetings. Uh, at almost all these meetings, if we'd go to lunch or something, everybody at the table would be drinking. I mean, everybody, and it's the middle of a work day. I never could understand that. Okay, but I wouldn't. I always ordered a Coke. I said that Coke. I don't. I don't want to be. First of all, I'm driving. <laughs> Second of all. I've got decisions to make the rest of the day. And, but, you know, I just said that wouldn't be profitable for me to do that. So, you know what? I took some ribbing for that. Oh, look at, look at Mr. Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. He doesn't want to drink. You know, he's, not, he's too good for us. He doesn't want to drink. But you know what? I had to be at the meeting. I had to be in the situation. But I just did that. But you know what? After a while, even though they made fun of you, they grew to respect your decision. Because once they figured out you couldn't, they couldn't change your mind on the decision, they couldn't break you, then they respected you because they knew you stood your ground. But what if I just gave in? You know, and believe me, I've given in to sin plenty of times in my life just like you have. But you know what? I just said, you know what? I'm not going to do that. It's not a wise situation. And as a Christian, we think, okay, I'm going to make wise choices. One of the things I decided as a Christian early on is that I'm not going to put anything into my body that's gonna, that alters my mind for making good decisions. 
uh, things like alcohol, drugs, those, those don't help you make good, right decisions, do they? So, you know, I'm not preaching against that tonight, but I'm just saying we got to make wise choices as Christians. When I was a kid, there were certain kids I knew if I hung around with, I'd be in trouble, and there were certain kids I knew if I hung around with, I'd be fine. But, you know, it's true as adults too, isn't it? If you go with a certain group of people, they're going to be okay. If you don't, then you're going to, you know, it's going to be a tough time for you. But God says, resist the devil, he will flee from you. In other words, make choices that are godly and say, hey, okay, I know the devil's going to try and get me here, so I'm just gonna, my answer to that is no. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to let, let that happen. And then, the ne- and then it says he'll flee from you. Why? He's going to go try to get an easier target. You ever watch those nature shows? Do they, all, do they pick off the strongest one? No, they pick off the weakest one or the slowest one, the one that, you know, you, you're watching the nature show. It's kind of, kind of like watching a horror movie. You know, you watch the nature show on National Geographic, and you go, oh, look at that little antelope. He's going away from all the other antelope. Oh, I bet you nothing but good things are going to happen to him. No, you're just knowing. They're showing on the other camera the, the lions over there walking around just waiting for that antelope. As soon as he gets away from the herd, man, boom. And that's what the devil does. If he can't get at you, he's going to get it. He's going to get at somebody else. So it says, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. And then look at verse 8. The next command verb is draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Nigh is just an f- old, old English word for near. Draw near to God. In other words, God's not moving. He's in the same place. He's, the, he's on his throne forever and ever. He's there. He hears you 24-7. He hasn't moved. But you know what? Sometimes we move away from God, don't we? We stop going to church, stop reading our Bible, stop doing our devotions, stop doing the things we know to do that we need for strength in our spiritual life, and we move away from that, and then all of a sudden we, we, we turn around and we go, oh, look how far I am. You ever done that? Maybe when you were a kid that happened, when, you're, when you got separated from your parents and you didn't know it, you look and the next thing you know, where's my parents? Sometimes as a parent, you went, oh, where's my child? Where'd they go? You know, but at the beach, you go out to the beach, you're swimming, pretty soon you go, whoa, I am way out here. You know, you think, why did I swim out so far? I got to get back over there. And you're thinking, am I going to make it back there? You know, but all of a sudden you just wonder, you're somewhere and all of a sudden you're wondering, how did I get here so fast? What am I doing way out here? In a Christian life, we can do that. That can happen quick. You see, you make a couple wrong choices and you make a couple things. The next thing you know, you're out there by yourself. And the next thing you know, the devil's there waiting to grab you. You know, he's waiting to get you, you know, and, and uh, try to do that. And so draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to you. Then the next one says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. See, I say this often when I speak, but hopefully you took a shower or bath today or cleaned up somehow. <laughs> but, you know, if you're sitting all alone, no, I'm just kidding around. But, you know, if you, if you, if you took a, if you took, if, if you didn't, if you clean the outside, right, though, that's the whole point, right? The truth is there's only one way to clean the inside, and that's go to God, Right? We go to him. He's already paid our sin debt on Calvary, so we're not going to him uh, you know, to, to, for that, but we're going to him to tell him, just like when you do something wrong against mom and dad and you just had to say, I was sorry. You go to God and say, I'm sorry I did that. I repent of that. I'm sorry I didn't mean to do that. And you know what? We get right with God first, and then if we've wronged the other person, we go to the person and say, man, I'm really sorry I did that. That was not right. It wasn't right of me to do that. And... Um, I often, I relate to Peter very well in the Bible because I've often said things, I think, why did I say that? I shouldn't have said that. Why did I say that? You know, and it just happens. And if I don't think that, my family lets me know that I said that. I should have said that. <laughs> it's just the way it goes. But it says, cleanse your hands, your sinners. And then it says to purify your hearts. Again, you double-minded. In other words, think on the things of God. You can't be, you can't be double-minded. You can't say, okay, well, I can do this, but I can also do this. 
you know, I'm going to follow God, but I want to go this way in my life. No, you've got to stay on the, you got to stay on the path God wants you to be on. And then these next three are really weird imperative words that it says. It tells us in verse 9 to be afflicted, to mourn, and to weep. Well, that's a joyful message tonight, isn't it? Hey, praise God, we get to be afflicted, we get to mourn, we get to weep. But if you look at the rest of the verse, it says, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Now, it's not saying that God wants you to be sad, depressed, down, discouraged. What it's saying is to take, there's times when you have to take the things of God seriously. There's plenty of other verses that tell us that God wants us. We, in fact, we've had some messages recently about joy. God, God has unspeakable joy for us. But see, God says here, if you're serious about it and you're trying to, you're trying to take care of it, this, really this whole section is talking about just being worldly rather than trying to be godly. And, and it, it says here, you want the cure? Be afflicted for your sin. Mourn for your sin. Weep for your sin. And then it says, your joy to heaviness. What it means is just be sober. You know how the, the, the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant. The devil's coming at you, right? So take it seriously, your Christian walk. And, there, and again, there's gonna, I don't know about you. People say, some people say, oh, Christians don't have any fun. I have a lot of fun hanging out with Christians. There's a lot of fun things that we do. And times of fellowship, all that kind of thing. But it says here, sometimes you've got to take stock and say, okay, I want, I want to draw. Remember it said, draw nigh to God, he'll draw near to you. If you say, hey, I want to have a better walk with God, I want to be a, more, I want to be a, a better Christian today than I was yesterday, then we're going to have to take it seriously and say, okay, in my Christian life, we have to be honest with ourselves. See, sometimes when we've been saved a long time, we're just kind of, we're just kind of in cruise mode, right? You know, we were, over Easter break, we, we rented a car to go where we were going to go. We went up to see my son Eric and did some other stuff, but... You know, we rented a car, and it had all, it had all, I didn't ask for all the bells and whistles, but it had everything. It practically drove the car itself. You know, it was nice. And I'm thinking, I'm going to have to go back to my own car one of these days. But, you know, this car is nice. But, you know, it had, it had the cruise control. It, had, it even had that. You guys ever have, most, many, many of you probably have it on your car now. But not only do you have cruise control, but they have the thing where it slows you down. If you're, you know, if you're going 70 and the car ahead of you is going 60 or something, it slows you down automatically before you get to it. And I'm just like, why, why do they even need me? They don't need me to drive this car. It could do itself, you know? But sometimes as a Christian, we kind of get in that way. We get in cruise control, and we just say, I'm going to be all right. But then every once in a while, you know, cruise control is great, but it's not steering the car. Now, I know they have self-driving cars. I, I know I've seen those where they have some of those where they're self-driving. But the reality is, eventually, the human factor has to come in because the machine can't think like a human, so eventually... There's going to be a malfunction. There's going to be something where something happens. But, you know, it is amazing, the technology. You know, remember, I don't know about you guys. When I grew up, some of our cars didn't have power steering. They, were, they used to have, some, there's a lot of cars that didn't have power steering. Uh, remember having to crank down the window? <laughs> there's some people in this room that have never had to crank down their window. As it's electric, it goes up, it goes down. But, you know, in our Christian walk, we can get to where we're just, we're just cruising along, and we're not, sometimes we're not watching. And when we're not watching, we're not being careful that could be us. You know, we could, we could be the fatality. We could be the casualty. we got to be careful and take it seriously. So, again, it's not that God wants us to always be afflicted, always mourn, and always weep. But he, it's saying, hey, take things seriously at times when you take stock. And be honest with yourselves. You know, we, sometimes we can fool ourselves, we can fool others, but we can't fool God. God knows our heart, and the Bible says about our heart, heart's desperately wicked who could know it. You know, so we have to take a true stock and then it ends this section in verse 10 telling us to humble ourselves 
And, and how? In the sight of the Lord. And look what it says here. He shall lift you up. See, if you go back at the end of the last section, we were talking about God rewarding humility in this section, but in the last section, the last verse, verse 6, said, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Then at the end of this section, in verse 10, it says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. See, everybody, whatever you're doing in life, God's the one that's placed you there to do that. Now, get it. You have abilities, you have talents, and you've, you've applied for certain positions, you've done certain things, but God's given you the talent to do that. And uh, as, we, as we look at that, God rewards um, humility and not pride. And so we've got to let him do the lifting up. See, if we do what's right, then he'll lift us up. You know, we, make, we, we talked a little bit about Peter and how he denied him three times and all that stuff, but nobody, nobody's given a more powerful sermon than Peter on the day of Pentecost. And we saw thousands saved. In fact, there's a couple, a couple passages in there where it talks about daily. They were just added to the church daily. Why? Those disciples did their job. And they preached with boldness, even though that meant arrest, beatings, all that kind of thing. And eventually, most of them, their death, because they were martyred for Christ. But you know what? They didn't care why their, their will was God's will. They were focused on what God wanted, and they, were, and they used that power. Um, you know, there's a verse that, you know how you have life verses, but this, there's a verse that I always think about that makes me think serious-minded. And um, that verse, I don't, I don't know the reference, but it says, um, it says, and I'm going blank right now, I'm totally on the verse, but it, it basically is saying that um, we have a form of godliness, but we're denying the power thereof. See, what that means is, we're doing it in the flesh, and we're not allowing God to work through us. See, and I'm always worried that I have a form of godliness, but I'm denying the power of God in my life. Again, I know I'm saved. I know I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I know I'm on my way to heaven. But there's times in my life when I try to do it instead of letting God do it, or doing it my way instead of God's way. When I do that, it's not good. So I don't want to just have a form of godliness where I'm just playing the game of religion. You know, there's a lot of people in this world that play the game of religion, that don't know Christ as their Savior, and unfortunately they're, they're going to pay for that in eternity. They're, gonna, they're not going to see God. But see, even some of us that are Christians, though, and we know we have our place in heaven secured uh, based on 1 John 5.13 that says we can know we have eternal life. But the truth is, how much more could we have accomplished for Christ in this life if we wouldn't have denied his power and denied what he can do in our life and denied what he can do in the lives of others? All of us, whether we admit it or not, we look at some people that we know in our lives, whether it be family, friends, or even uh, neighbors, whatever, and we think God could never save that person. You know, that's a dangerous game to play when we start looking at people and saying, oh, God could save that person, but, you know, not that person. Do you realize we were that person once? <laughs> we were that person where somebody thought, that person's never going to get saved. What's wrong with them? I told you, man, I, I, I got saved at 12, but I didn't live, I, didn't, I wasn't founded, I wasn't grounded in my, I wasn't grounded in what I believe, I didn't, I'm, I didn't have a good testimony in high school. When I went to my 10-year reunion and people found out I was a Christian, they literally laughed. What? You go to church? What? I can't even picture you at church. You know, and then some of them, the only ones that understood were other Christians, because they're like, oh, I believe it, Christ changes a life, it's a miracle the way Christ works in a life, but you know, there were people that laughed at that. Man, 10 years out of high school, you're telling me, I know who you were in high school, you know? And I told you, I told you before, my sisters used to say, 
yeah, when I went to Bible college, they said, we know everything about you. Your first sermon you ever preach, we're going to sit in the back and heckle you because we know what you are. We know who you are. We know the real you, you know. But nobody knows you like family does, right? But as you look at this, God just says, hey, let me do the work. Let me lift you up. Let me give you the power. Let me help you resist the devil. Let me help you do all this. I can do that. Because, you know, let's, if we're honest, in, 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 a, in a human fleshly way, humbleness is not part of that. You know, humbleness takes work just like anything else to be humble about something. And then let's look at our last point tonight, which is um, God's will and plan. God's will and plan. And that starts in verse 11. It says, it's telling us some things not to do. And it's telling, this section is going to tell us some of the characteristics of when we get out in the flesh and we stay away from what God has to do. It says, speak not evil of one another, brethren. Again, that word brethren meaning to the saved. Don't, don't talk bad about your brothers and sisters in Christ. It says, he that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. Remember, uh, other place in James, it tells us to be doers of the word, not hearers only, right? But it says here, if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but you're now become a judge. And then it says in verse 12, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy who art thou that thou judgest another? See, there's only one that's, one lawgiver, that's God. And of course we know the Trinity, God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit. But see, um, we've all judged somebody about something, and somebody's judged us about something. But God says, don't do that. That's up to me to do that. He says, you don't do that. You don't, you're not the judge. You're not the judge. We used to say in America, what do we say? You're, you're not the judge, jury, and executioner, right? It's God that's that. But it says here, don't, don't speak evil of your brethren. When you do that, you're judging them, and then you're, you're, you're trying to be God, right? You're trying to, because you're trying to do that. Um, one of the things I've learned, and it's taken me a long time in my Christian walk to learn that, is not, not to judge people that sin differently than I do. See, we all sin. All of us have that in common in this room. We all sin against God. But your sin might not be my sin. Now, it might. We might have the same sin. But the truth is, there's people that fight different things. Uh, you know, the devil's got, you know, you know I'll, I'll put it like this, okay? In our school, we, we, we've been having a fundraiser, right? So we have these little prizes we were giving the kids. So we put out this table, and there's these little prizes on there that they can pick from. Do you know what one kid's eye catches the other kid doesn't care about? They're looking at the thing over here, right? So they see, they, they're picking different things. They, they see different things that entice them. You know, Satan's like the master fisherman. What he does, you know, what did Christ tell? He would make us fishers of men, right? But what Satan does is he takes the same sin that he's always been tempting people with, and he customizes it just for you. Um, my mom was crazy about fishing. I like fishing, but my mom was crazy about fishing. When we went on vacation, she planted around the fishing holes all the way up. We stopped at every fishing hole there was on the way up. And you know what? She had all these different types of bait. She had different types of lures. She had all this stuff. But I remember the, being fascinated by the different kinds of lures in fishing. There'd be just some straight, you know, silver ones that were shiny. You know, there would be other ones that have stripes. They'd be like red and white striped. There'd be other ones different ways. And some people are into fly fishing. I've never really done fly fishing, but I know they, they painstakingly take time to to, to make those flies to go fishing. So, and they're all gauging it on the, to make it attractive for the fish, right? But that's what Satan does. He customizes it's the same old sin, but he customizes it just for that person. And he goes, let's see who we can lure in today. And he's waiting for somebody to take the bait. 
to take that sin bait and just go after it. Because he makes it look good, doesn't he? He makes all sin look good. We think, yeah, I need that. You didn't even think you needed it. I need that. The world advertises that way, don't they? You ever, you ever, you ever been there you're late at night and all of a sudden you're humming some little tune and you're going, what, what is that little tune I'm humming? And then pretty soon you realize it's some commercial you heard you know, the, earlier in the day and it's, it, the, the advertiser did their job. It's stuck in your head, you know? And, and that's why people pay millions of dollars for advertising. But, you know, that's what Satan does. He's just, he's just trying to lure us into it. But, you know, we're not supposed to judge people according to their sin. God says, I'm the judge. I'm the lawgiver. I'm the judge. Remember, why is the law there? To point out our sin, right? It's not there to save us. We could do the ten, if we could follow all ten commandments, first of all, nobody can do that. But if you could follow all the commandments God gave, um, you know, you... You would, always, you would always have a spot that, that tempts you rather than somebody else. You know, there's some things I see people tempted by, and I think, why are they tempted by that? It doesn't even tempt me. But there are many things that I see that I go, wow, that looks cool. That's, oh, that's, that, I, that's tempting me. And you're looking at me going, Theo, why are you tempted like that? It doesn't, it's not me. But, again, in verse 13, it goes on to say, Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city. And continue there a year and buy and sell and get grain, or get gain, I'm sorry. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. See, we have to remember that. See, to us, our life is a long time. You know, you, you think, wow, man, I've lived, you know, when, when, I think of, when I think I'm over a half a century old, I think, man, that's a long time. That's a long time. You know, to a kid, you don't have to be very old for them to think you're ancient, you know? Yes, you know, man, how old are you? And I'll, I'll tell the kid how old I am. They look at me, you're that old? And then they tell me how old their mom is, their grandma is, their ever, and they tell me everybody in their family. But, you know, to them, but, but you have other kids that have no clue. How old do you think I am? Oh, you're 29. Oh, I love you. You're my favorite student, you know? And then the other one says, I think you're 80. Oh, I hate you. You're failing today, man. You're gonna... But, you know, that's the way kids are. They don't really grasp it, right? But, but to us, we think our life's a long time. But think about it. If, because you took history class in, in school, you could probably tell me some people that lived 100 years ago. But most of us, we have no clue who lived 100 years ago. I couldn't tell you who got the gold medal in the Olympics 100 years ago. I have no idea. I have no idea who won. But see, Bible says our life's like a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanishes away. What's it telling us there? The eternal is more important than the temporal. See, the temporal is going to come and go. But the eternal is forever. And so if we focus on what God wants, God's interested in the eternal things. Now, he made everything, right? This world is beautiful. I mentioned that video earlier, that just that beautiful spot where they were singing that song. And God's made some beautiful things here. But, you know, this world's going to pass away. Only heaven's for eternal. eternal. And he says, oh, we got all these people in verse 13. He says, got all these people making all these plans to do this, to do that. And he says, wait a minute. Do you even know what's going to happen tomorrow? You don't even know what's going to happen the rest of tonight, let alone tomorrow, right? And then he says, it appears for a little way. And then verse 15, he goes on to say this. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. You know, a lot of times when I pray, I just pray for God's will in the situation. I pray some specifics sometimes. I say, Lord, I'd really like to see this happen, but if it's not your will, I don't want it to happen. You know, I want, I want what's God's will. So he says, we should say, okay, if the Lord wills, we'll do that. We shall live, we'll do this or that. Look what verse 16 says. 
But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. So if we're just boasting, bragging, we're rejoicing in that. Uh, uh, again, pride instead of humility. God says, no, 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 no. And then he ends it with this. In this section, it says in verse 17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Do you, do you remember what Paul said? He said, the things I should do, I don't. Things I shouldn't do, I do. I think I said that right. I always get confused when I'm saying that. But, you know, you get, you know, I know I shouldn't do that, but I'm going to do it. You know, when you're, when you're, a, when you were a kid and you said, okay, I'm going to make this choice. And as, as soon as you make it, you know what you thought? My mom or your dad, whichever one it was, is going to kill me. It, was it worth it? No. I may not live past tonight. By the time they get done disciplining me. You know, I never cared what the school did to me. I was always worried about what mom was going to do to me. Um, but, you know, as you think about this issue of pride versus humility, God chooses humility, so that's what we should choose. And it's, it's not easy, putting others first. You know, we've talked about this before. They teach that little song in junior church, and they say, J-O-Y, Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. You know, and we teach that to kids, but, you know, the truth is, as adults, that's what God wants us to focus on. He wants us to be humble and recognize that he is God. You know, as parents, when you, if, you've, if you've been through teenagers, okay, they think, you thought this as a teenager too. My parents don't know what they're talking about. I know better. Now, believe me, there's times parents are wrong, right? We know that. Sometimes we were wrong, sometimes they're wrong. But, you know, the truth is, my mom, if she said something to us, nine times out of ten, she was right. And you know what? She would say stuff like, okay, you know, you're getting too big for your britches. You ever get told that? You're too, way too big for your britches. My, 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 my mom would say that. Or she'd say, man, you don't need to worry about that for years to come. And I'd be like, yeah, but I'm worried about it now, you know. And she'd be like, but, you know, the wisdom that's there, and God's the same way. When the creation thinks they know more than the creator, God says, believe me, do it my way. You'll have a peaceful life. You'll have a joyful life. You'll, you'll just have, you know, we've talked about a lot of things over the last few weeks on Wednesdays. You know, we talked about biblical wisdom. We talked about biblical joy. We talked about all kinds of different subjects. Um, but as we look at, at humility, God just says, really humbling is just saying, I'm going to submit to a holy God. I'm going to realize that he knows better than me. And I'm going re to realize that I can't get to heaven through works and all those other things I'm only going to get there because God loved me so much. Again, going back to that song they sang, right? The lover of your soul. See, God loves us so much. He's not, he doesn't want anybody to perish. But not only that, when we become saved, we are literally God's children. And you know what? God wants what's best for his children. See, you, I don't know about you, my children are grown, but I still want the best for them. I want the best for my children. And you know what? How much more God, our Heavenly Father, wants the best for us if we'll just follow him? Well, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, I praise you. And as I preach on humility, Lord, I, I know that I need that in my life. And Lord, help, help us to put away the pride. And Lord, to trust you and to acknowledge you in everything we do. <coughs> Lord, help us not, not to be just... As, as we started this passage, it talked about lusting and desiring things and, and, and envy and all those kind of things. 
But Lord, it says in the Bible here that you resist the, the proud. You give grace to the humble. You say, humble yourselves on the side of the Lord. He shall lift you up. See, God, we acknowledge that you're our creator tonight. We acknowledge that you're the one that needs to get the glory. We, we acknowledge that we need to point people to you. And Lord, we just need to do that by humbling ourselves and putting and lifting you up and not ourselves. And Lord, <coughs> help us to be good brothers and sisters in Christ to one another. Help us not to speak evil of others. Help us not to, to be envious and all those kind of things, Lord. And help us not to get in the way. Lord, maybe you're working on somebody's heart for salvation. I pray if anybody tonight watching online or here in the auditorium doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that they'll stop and ask one of us after church. Ask how we can, we can, how we can know for sure we're on our way to heaven. And then those of us that are saved, help us to humble ourselves so that people will see that there's a difference inside of us. And that difference is you, Christ. We praise you for that. And we just thank you for all the great things and blessings you give to us. We thank you for a home in heaven. We thank you that you love us and that you are the lover of our souls. We praise you tonight. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, good night. Have a good evening. And uh, we'll see you Sunday.